You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader joins students at Maharishi International University for a question and answer session on the future, consciousness, and AI. The topic of consciousness, which is very pertinent in this institution because we call ourselves a consciousness-based education. So we have to understand what is consciousness, what is its implications in life, and where does it come from? And so these are the topics that are under the general concept or title of the heart problem of consciousness. Because we see matter, we touch it, we feel it, we live in whatever our senses give us as experience. And yet all this experience doesn't exist if there is no consciousness. We know you when you sleep you have no remembrance of whatever is happening so suppose you're sleeping deep sleep and there is an explosion or a meteor that hits planet earth and suppose it doesn't shake your bed but does everything else somewhere else you're not aware of it it doesn't mean it doesn't exist necessarily, but for you it doesn't exist. It has no meaning, it has no consequences during your sleep. Then you wake up and you're conscious, and when you're conscious, you realize, ah, something happened because you read the news and you get informed and you hear the whole problems that are taking place. Now, you call yourself unconscious during that time, but Suppose that this meteor actually sent a ripple and your bed has shaken a little bit, you're going to respond. That means even during sleep, there is a minimal amount of consciousness that is there. There is consciousness even during sleep. So when you're sleeping and you're not conscious of the specifics, like we're conscious on a waking state, our body is still conscious, it's still aware of things, you know, if the weather changes, you might turn in the bed, if there is a noise, it wakes you up. So the body is also conscious. And so the whole story really in understanding consciousness starts by expanding our definition of consciousness. A tendency has been among philosophers and scientists to define consciousness in what we would call an anthropomorphic way. Anthropomorphic means based on how humans look at things. So it's a tendency in us as humans to project our perception of the universe or of reality based on our perception of the reality, which means, you know, if you create entities that are supernatural, you give them your form, your idea of how they should be. Somebody said if, if uh, the tigers were to create a heavenly life, 
then their God will be a tiger. If humans are to create a heavenly existence, their God will look like them. That's what we call anthropomorphic, which means we imagine things must be the way we imagine them, which is natural, but it's not necessarily uh, ultimate reality because in nature there are different perceptions of reality, even by different people. That's why you have different belief systems, different ideas, different visions of things. And this has created recently an uh, understanding which is called theory of mind, if you have heard of that. And theory of mind means I cannot tell what is on your mind. Nobody can tell what is in anybody's mind, really. I know I am conscious. How sure can I be that you are conscious? You seem to be conscious because you're listening to me, but we can create actually a robot. And today we have this you know, artificial intelligence. So this guides us to the artificial intelligence. And the artificial intelligence can look the same, and more and more they are. You know, there are prototypes now that actually have skin texture and movement of the muscles in the face and articulation and speech and with artificial intelligence ability to think and, you know, and actually produce sounds. They can completely look like us, you know. Imagine I could be a robot now, sitting, who knows? Can you guarantee I am not? I am talking to you and I can see you and you see me and I'm happy to answer your question. And actually I know so much that you would be surprised how conscious I am. Can you guarantee I am conscious? Nobody can guarantee. So the theory of mind is that we project in our awareness what the mind of the other person is. And that allows us to have what we call empathy and like that. So that's a whole, a whole story that's happening. But basically what I wanted to highlight is that the definition of consciousness has to be expanded in order to understand the paradigm that we are presenting, which is consciousness is all there is. That ultimately consciousness is the ultimate reality. And if consciousness is the ultimate reality, how can you tell, uh, you know, a stone is conscious? It sounds ridiculous. If we try to give to the stone the same kind of consciousness that we as humans have. So that's why this projection of my mind into the mind of a stone makes it impossible for me to uh, accept that the stone has consciousness or is consciousness in fact. And the reason is because I see the stone doesn't react like me, doesn't seem to listen, doesn't seem to be afraid, doesn't cry when it falls and breaks on the floor. It doesn't do the things I do, so it can't be conscious. It's impossible that it has any consciousness. And for a while, actually, humanity as a whole decided that even animals don't have consciousness. They absolutely don't have consciousness. That's why you can use them the way you like. You can kill them. You can do anything because they're objects. And today we are shocked. It's like, oh gosh, what did they do? They were barbaric, you know. Uh, humans were horrible, uh, what they used to do. 
in some cases I can say it's right, but it's because of understanding, misunderstanding of what reality is about and isolating ourselves from the rest of the universe and putting the whole universe as and uh, you know in the center of our thinking of who we are and what we are and what the other things are and separating our consciousness from the whole universe now this leads to big problems in philosophy just to summarize again what uh, chris beautifully started explaining you know we can ask what is ultimate reality where are we coming from what is it it's all energy you know unified field we know and in this institution is a very very common discussion about the fact that molecules are made out of atoms atoms elementary particles elementary particles are fluctuations of fields fields are of so many kinds they are being more and more unified electricity and magnetism are not two different things there is electromagnetic field and then more and more unification grand unification and now the unified field theory it's a theory, but it has its implication on so many levels. And if we accept that theory, we realize there is a field. And what is that field? This is the questions where we have to ask ourselves. Is it a field of energy, which means something physical, something material? Or is it maybe a field of consciousness? In philosophy, there was the dualism which means there are two entities, two things. They are different. One is the spiritual side, the consciousness side, and one is the physical, material side of our existence. The problem with this is that how do they interact with each other? How does something non-material talk to something that is material? How is it possible? And then also the problem with that is that we have found that actually what happens on the mental and consciousness level influences the physiology at the beginning we thought influences the physiology and then we realized it's actually in a cybernetic continuum which means whatever happens in the mind at the same time happens in the body at some level for every thought you have certain chemicals certain electrical activity in the brain that happens and for every electrical activity in the brain it changes your thoughts and your feelings and all of that so they are not two things they must be the same thing they are so intimately connected that there is no possibility that these are completely different and also theoretically how can you find the relationship between something abstract that is non-material and something material physical energy so then scientists said, okay, we don't know where energy comes from. We say it's being created, maybe by a divine entity. And how does it happen? It's a mystery, so it stays a mystery. It's the overpowering, divine, mysterious, supernatural things. And then energy comes, and then it starts as energy, and gradually this energy, as we know, becomes elementary particles, and then atoms and molecules and they get together they create cells and it gets complex and then they create a nervous system and then the nervous system suddenly consciousness emerges and that's what they call the emergent emergent theory of consciousness 
that consciousness is an immersion, something that emerges from matter. And so scientists got interested in consciousness because its implications are profound on our life. As we said, without consciousness, you know, if you feel you are in love, what is it to, to be in love if you don't have consciousness? Can you imagine yourself in coma and say, I am in love? You know, what does it matter to you in your coma that the whole universe loves you? You're in coma. You're not aware of anything. And the whole universe is so interested in you, but for you it doesn't mean anything. So without consciousness, we cannot experience love. Without consciousness, we cannot understand the universe. We cannot understand ourselves. We cannot understand others. We cannot feel, we cannot experience. So consciousness is absolutely essential and primary in our life. And this interest in science then came to study what is that important consciousness. Because after all, to be happy means to be conscious of a certain state in which you feel good, there is well-being, there is sense of flourishing, sense of going, and things are going well in your life, and then you're happy. But that's an experience in consciousness. So happiness is an experience in consciousness. Well-being is an experience in consciousness. Love is a flavor of consciousness. Pain is a feeling in consciousness. You know, you can do surgery on somebody, you know, cut them open and to do something, and they're unconscious, so there is no pain, there is no experience. What you do is anesthesia, you knock them out, you knock their consciousness out. The scientists are very interested in consciousness, and now for like in the recent 25 years or so, uh, or even 30 years, science has become very seriously interested in consciousness. It used to be a topic that you actually don't want to talk about. When I was at, uh, in my studies at the different universities, everybody talked about consciousness quietly, but nobody, you, you know, dared to talk about it loudly because you will lose your ability to get tenured and to get a profession and to get, you know, it's like these guys are crazy, you know, they talk about something esoteric. And today they say, if you want to be tenured, you have to talk about consciousness. You have to address that topic, which everybody is really interested in. So 25, 30 years of study and interest in consciousness has led to practically nothing in terms of how can matter create consciousness? How can the physical universe create consciousness? So this theory that, okay, dualism, the both exist, doesn't work. Only one thing exists, they call it monism which means mono, one only, like you have stereo and mono. Stereo is you have many, and mono is one only, one sound. So monism means only one thing actually is at the ultimate reality. Only one thing exists as an essential aspect of reality. And since we are sure that the physical universe exists because we touch it, we feel it, we live through it, it must be the physical reality that exists. That is what we call materialist monism, physicalism. 
that monist means everything that exists is only one and it's made out of this energy we don't know where it comes from and so this is the trend of today however there is another possibility which is what about its consciousness that is the primary aspect that this unified field we're talking about is actually consciousness it's a field of consciousness and the hard problem of consciousness as I define it and talk about it in the podcast becomes a different problem it's the problem of physicalism <laughs> which means you have exchanged one problem for another first we're looking for how can matter create consciousness it's a hard problem and as I said 30 years of very very profound research and lots of money have not even brought us any close to understanding how matter can create consciousness now that's the hard problem of consciousness because everything is physical so how can consciousness emerge from something that is material now when i say when the vedic tradition says vedanta says Marishi says that consciousness is primary, consciousness is all there is. We have exchanged a problem of hard problem of consciousness with another problem. How can the physical exist? If consciousness is all there is, how come we see things, we experience things as physical, as material? We can calculate them, we can measure them, we can weigh them we know they are there so you have to explain how consciousness appears as matter or is matter and so this is the topic that i have taken to resolve and therefore offer a theory of reality based on consciousness and then trying to see how consciousness appears as matter in a way that is logical makes sense and doesn't contradict normal findings in in society in science and understanding the universe okay so that is our main topic and it starts with the definition of consciousness again it brings me back to the anthropomorphic idea which means the problem we have is that we define consciousness as being conscious like a human being but consciousness has a range of possibilities so how I define consciousness is any sensing experiencing responding interacting with anything by anything is part of consciousness okay so if you take the stone which we, is our hero today in the discussion <laughs> <laughs> and we drop the stone on the floor we leave the stone why does it go to the floor because of gravity okay so we are saying it has sensed gravity if it hasn't had an interaction with the field of gravity 
it would not fall on the floor, right? Now immediately you're saying, come on, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? It has sensed gravity. Because immediately in your mind, you're going to think, when he said sense gravity, it's like I sense gravity when I jump from the third floor. Don't do it, of course, but let's say from the first floor on the... <laughs> I sensed gravity, I felt myself falling, I realized I'm falling, I'm aware I'm falling, I'm afraid I'm gonna break my legs, and I, when I come there, I get, you know, if it's too high, I get pain and pressure and all of that, and uh, that's what sensing means. And therefore, obviously, the, the stone falling doesn't sense all these things, and therefore, it's not sensing. Well, that's because your definition of sensing is anthropomorphic. Means it depends on your idea of what sensing means. And what we're saying is we're expanding the definition of sensing to say just reacting, just interacting. So the stone has no idea that it is a stone. Absolutely no self-consciousness. It has no sense of being an entity. It has no idea of what gravity is. By the way, as humans, it took us a while to understand what gravity is, and still we grapple with it anyway. So we imagine we know what gravity is. Okay, we know to some extent, but before, you know, before Newton and all the scientists and all started to analyze gravity and Einstein and all these things about you know, general relativity and the curvature of time and space and all of this. People thought that the stone goes because there is, it has a nature to go to the lowest level of, of its existence. So there is something in it. Anyway, this is between parentheses. So the stone doesn't know anything about gravity at all. It's just the most meager, the most simple, the lowest level of just responding to an attraction. That means it has that little tiny amount of consciousness. See, that's the key point that will make a difference in coming into thinking about artificial intelligence and all the other aspects of consciousness, whether it's conscious or not, etc. And when you read the literature, and the discussions that are happening about artificial intelligence and consciousness, it's all based on anthropomorphic. It's a big word, but it helps. It's based on, is artificial intelligence conscious like us as humans? That's the big question. Is artificial intelligence conscious like us as humans? It's a big question and a big problem and a difficult to answer. But is artificial intelligence conscious? Well, depends on your definition of consciousness. If you say that any sensing, any detecting, any interacting is consciousness, then artificial intelligence is interacting with you when you write, you know, can you help me write the essay for the, you know, application to the graduate school essay? 
no, I cannot answer this. You are not allowed to tell you. You have to write your own essay. <laughs> because we have told it that, okay, don't help the students. It's cheating. You know, so, okay. Then you say, okay, how many atoms in the universe? And other, oh, okay, I'll tell you. What are the things, you know, you want to do? Draw me a picture. It's fine. It will tell you. It has answered your question. It has responded to your demand it has analyzed the data it has looked into the information that is in the universe that is known to us in our universe whatever we know of course we have fed it but when we are you know talking about intelligence and knowledge we also get information based on what is available we analyze things based on what we know and what is available before us and we respond and so that process is a process of consciousness. It is conscious. It is conscious of much more than the stone, but is it as conscious as us human beings? That's a different story. Or maybe it's more conscious than us on certain levels and less conscious than us on other levels. And this is where we can solve the problem, because otherwise, is it conscious like a human being? Well, it is not a human being. It cannot be conscious like a human being. To be conscious like a human being, you have to be a human being. And not only any human being, every one of us has their own quality of consciousness. Or maybe their friends, they're conscious in the same way, but maybe not, they have different things. So it's the theory of mind. What is your mind? What is my mind? And every one of us is really conscious in a, in a different way, but also in similar ways, because we have the same build up, the same general kind of structure and anatomy and all of that. So we can assume, I can assume that you're all conscious. I feel comfortable with that. I cannot tell for sure, but how is your consciousness? But I can be sure you are conscious. Of course you are. I can see your faces. I can see your interest or not or whatever. If it's boring what I say or if it's get still interested, if you're still with me or not. So I can see your consciousness floating around. And that is a higher consciousness. So this is very important. And I took a long time, maybe almost all the time. But <laughs> it's really to lay the ground so that we are on the same level of thinking of what we are talking about. So to summarize, consciousness is on a range from the minute level of an elementary particle interacting with another elementary particles. This is the minimal, tiniest level of consciousness. Don't try to say that that particle has anything to do almost with you as a human being conscious of being here and listening and planning and having hopes and emotions and desires and future and past and regrets and this and that. It has nothing to do. It just responds to each other. One positive charge feels a negative charge. But feels, what does it mean? And I feel, I think about it, it creates emotions in me. Nothing like that. It detects. Okay, detects maybe is a better word. A particle detects another particle and 
they respond to each other. Now, the question comes here, and I want to solve this quickly, not to elaborate very much. Does it have a choice? Because that comes also there. Well, when a particle that is positively charged is in front of a particle that is negatively charged, it has absolutely no choice. So there is no sense of decision-making even there. That's why the consciousness is very tiny. It's just detecting and that's it. And now when the particles come together and they create an atom, well, the atom has much more degrees of interaction. The molecule is more complex and can go this way and that way. Does it have a choice to do what it does? No, it doesn't. It's not free. It's following the laws of nature very strictly, but it so seems that there is a sense of uncertainty on different possibilities that can be there. This uncertainty can sound like freedom, but it's not really a choice freedom. It's chaos. So there is a minimal chaos, if you like, on that level. Chaos maybe is a big word, let's leave it behind. But there is different opportunities, different things, and why something happens and not the other is a different story. But there are uncertainties on things. So when I say it has no choice, it doesn't have a conscious choice, but there is uncertainty of possibilities. Now, as you grow in consciousness, you become a cell, and the cell has, you know, can go this way, that way, attracted by two different molecules. There is a possibility this way, possibility that way. It's also mechanistic, but as you grow in consciousness, the options of action increase, because you see more possibilities and when you see more possibilities you have greater what we call degrees of freedom so freedom grows with consciousness i just want to leave you with this and i encourage you to to read the book one unbounded ocean of consciousness but it's not available right now we are reprinting it and reformulating it that's my book that discusses all these points that i am raising with you right now and it goes into great detail of the logics and why and why not and what does it mean to my life and to my freedom to my decision making to my future to the meaning of life why i am here what does it matter and to do what and what is the essence of morality and ethical behavior and all of that which are big questions in philosophy and science that actually have no real uh, strong answers, even though they have been debated for thousands of years. And we hope that this paradigm of consciousness will bring closure and fulfillment in terms of the ability to see things from the broadest possible perspective. So basically, that's the short introduction. <laughs> It's a joke. <laughs> I meant to apologize for taking all the time. But in any case, I am, I am kind of assuming that you are going to be asking questions that have relevance to what I just said. So in a way, my theory of mind is that your minds were going to ask these questions. So I tried to answer them before you ask them. And now uh, the floor is yours. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.